I'm so grateful to just be, be here, you know, be in the body, be in uh, the presence of other people who belong to Christ, who are my brothers and sisters, who I'm going to spend eternity with. Can't wait to meet everybody else, you know, um, that's going to be pretty cool. And uh, I'll probably like people more then. Yeah, but I like you. No. Um, but, uh, but no, it's, uh, it really is an honor to just be, um, to be in a position where the Lord has, has uh, chosen to, um, to use me. You know, just to be in a, in a place where I can hopefully be used to encourage the body of Christ uh, to get a hold of everything that Christ has for us. You know, to, to understand it as clearly as we can, to live it as, as real as we can, to really just uh, be, be what we're supposed to be as his children as the, the, um, the examples of Christ that we're supposed to be on this earth. You know, there's, I mean, it's so amazing to think that, you know, we, we are that, you know, that what we have, the promises that we have, the, all, of, all of those things. And that kind of brings me to kind of the stuff that I want to touch on today. Um, the name of this message is The Fundamental Role of the Holy Spirit. And I would add the fundamental role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian today. You know, we see the Spirit work throughout the Old Testament where he would do things, he would work in people. But what, what he's doing in us today is different than what it was. You know, it's so different. And, uh, and, and I want to kind of go into the reality of who the Holy Spirit is. You know, that we can, I think this is something, this is one of those really basic Christian things that we can get kind of, it can be abstract to us. You know, we think spirit, well, you know, spirit could be anything. You know, we read scriptures like where it says, um, you know, uh, um, of course, I'm going to forget the scripture now, but where the wind blows, you know, and the, the um, maybe you could help me, Steve. Yeah. As the you know. Um, no, it's talking about as the spirit moves, you know, that we see the, uh, never mind. Um, I won't go there because I didn't write it down. So I'm going to destroy the passage. But anyway, we don't see the spirit. We don't see the spirit. So we don't have this embodiment of the spirit to really look at and say, that's what, that's what the spirit is. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Um, at least like tangibly right now, we have that image of what the, the Holy Spirit looks like in Christ. You know, the disciples had that with them. And so, so I want to try and get to where we're, we're understanding, because this is so important for us. It's so important for us to get outside of this abstract world and bring it to a place where, like, this is, this is so real. This is, the, this is so, um, so true. And it, the, the, God wants to for us to get a hold of these things so that we can, we can be as effective as possible for him. That's what, we, that's what we should be desiring. That's what we want to, and that's what God desires for us. And so, so we want to kind of pare things down. And I can, you know, I, that's kind of like my, what I, I tend to want to do, like take this, take this broad thing and bring it to this, this kind of the lowest common denominator kind of thing, you know, and, uh, 
But there is a lot of details and a lot of things like that, and they're all important. But I think that we got to, if we can get a hold of the, the basics of this and really get a sense of who the Holy Spirit is. So, um, you know, we see, you know, if you've come from a charismatic church, a lot of times the Spirit can just be this move of, you know, in the body where people are, are praising God and they're, and they're speaking in tongues or, you know, we, we see the, the healing. We see God do these amazing things. Um, we see the Spirit doing that, do, do those things. But, but who is the Holy Spirit? You know, and, and uh, so I'll leave it with this. He's the third person of the Trinity. How's that? Does that help? That nail things down for you? <laughs> yeah, perfect. We got it now. Oh, perfect. It's not abstract. Um, but this is, this is how I understand the Spirit of God, according to the Scripture. The Spirit of God is the exact non-corporeal representation of God. He is not in the flesh, so he's non-corporeal, but he is the exact representation of God. Just like Jesus was the corporeal representation of God. He, the Holy Spirit, is God. He is the representation. So we, when we read these passages about Jesus and that he is the exact image you know, of who God is and, and he is God, it's like we can kind of bring that right back over to the Holy Spirit and say, well, that's who the Holy Spirit is. You know, and, and, but that's the reality of the thing. The, one of the important parts of this is that to realize that the Holy Spirit is a person and he's not a force. It's not just some force that works in us. It's not a force that works outside of us, that comes upon us and does these things. But he's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is God. Like, that's a tough thing for us, I think, to get a hold of sometimes. But the scripture bears that out. It's not an odd thing to say the Holy Spirit is God. You know, but it's like, oh, I don't know. Does it? You know, it might feel weird, but he is God. Um, so let's look at what the, the scripture says. Actually, before we do that, let's pray. That's a good idea. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. All right, Lord God, I just thank you so much for, um, for your grace. Thank you for the work of your spirit. Thank you for being in us, working through us to, uh, to produce the, the works that you want to produce, Lord God, the, to be the image that you want to be um, us showing, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would really get a hold of this and understand what your word says and that we would have a clear understanding of how you want to work in us. And uh, Lord God, I just I praise you, Father, and thank you. And I lift up this morning to you and uh, your word to you. And I pray that uh, nothing would be a distraction from us receiving what you want us to receive today. So I praise you, Father, and thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> All right. So in John 14, 15 through 17, and 25 and 26, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's so cool when you start to realize, like Jesus is talking to his disciples, the embodiment of the Spirit of God is in Christ. So he is 
know, when Jesus goes, right, he, he wants to send another helper. What does that suggest? Jesus is a helper. He's, he is what they need at the time. He's there for them so that they can be, so they can hear the words of God, so that they can receive what God wants for them, so that they can be used to bring his, the, this, um, the, the words of God to the people around them, to see lives changed and all that. He is a helper. But he goes, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send you another helper to be with you forever. And this is so cool. The spirit of truth. You know, we think about truth too. Like sometimes you'll hear, well, it's absolute truth. It's like, well, all truth is absolute. You know, it's just truth. You know, it's like you can't be more absolute than truth. Um, it is what it is. Um, but the world cannot receive it because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you. At that time, the Spirit was dwelling with the disciples in Christ. He was in Christ, and they're seeing that. But what is it now for the believer now? It says, and it dwells with you and will be in you. When the Spirit comes in power, the Spirit will be in you. It's not going to, he's not, you're not going to be looking outside here to see the work of the spirit. He's going to be dwelling in us. That's so cool. So he dwells in, he dwells with you in Jesus. He will be in you. And that's now. In verse 25, he says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's so cool. So everything that, that Christ, all the, the words, all the thoughts, all of the, everything that there is to say is available through the Holy Spirit. This helper that comes to be in us. In John 15, 26, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The spirit of truth will always bear witness to Christ and his words, which is always the words of God. So it's always like, it's like amazing when you start to think about this triunity that there is in this, in, in the Godhead and how like one represents the other, but there it's, it's all reality. It's all truth. It's what it is, you know? So, and, and we have that in us. John 16, 5 through 15. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. This is an advantage for us. It's an advantage that we don't have, we don't have to be where somebody is. We don't have to go, Hey, Jesus is going to be in the Colosseum. Well, let's go meet him somewhere. Let's go see him at, at you know, uh, Madison Square Garden. Oh, this will be great. We'll learn the things of God. We don't have to be where he is anymore. Not that we're, I mean, yeah, physically. Um, we're always with him that way. But, but it's to our advantage because the helper will be with us. He'll be in us. If Jesus doesn't go away, he's the helper. Jesus goes away, it's to our advantage. We have that. 
We have that as the people of God. He dwells in us. The God who created everything dwells in us. We talked about this when we were talking about who we are as children of God, right? We, we went through these kind of things that we see we have the, the DNA of God in us. It's so, it's so cool to think that this almighty God has chosen to be in us, to be our helper, to be our helper, to lead us into truth. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And I want to take just a second, just touch on that a little bit. And it's a little bit of a, um, it's not really a digression. A little, little different focus the work of the Holy Spirit, as, as we allow God to work in us, we become this symbol of judgment to this world that's in darkness. And it's not us judging the world, but because we are allowing God to work in us, we become a light. Those who are in darkness hate the light. This is a natural response. You know, but so when you see, when we're living lives that are pleasing to God and we stand up for truth for the unborn, when we stand up for, um, you know, for uh, you know, marriage and, and those kind of things, when we stand on the principles of God's word and we allow God to work in us, the natural response of the world is to hate us. So don't be surprised. You know, Jesus says, don't be surprised if you fought, if they, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You know, it's, when we stand on that, we end up being this symbol of judgment. You know, we, we, we just become that. You know, um, our righteous lives bear the image of Christ to the world, which is an image of judgment. Not that we're judging, but that that's what they see. You know, how are you? You know, you have some moral status higher than me. And it's like, well, I didn't say anything, but, <laughs> you know, I'm just standing up for truth. And that's, that's what happens. So, um, so just be aware that, that those things could happen. Um, John three seventeen through 20. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So that's something that the Holy Spirit wants to work in us, that kind of righteous life. So don't be surprised if we face um, difficulty, persecution, and, uh, and a battle because we're hated. Um, so let's go back to John 16. John 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he speaks, um, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it, declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The, 
the, if we look at that passage and then we relate it to what Christ says about himself, you know, and he says, everything I hear the Father, say, or everything I see the Father doing, that's what I do. You know, so we have that, that same kind of response with the Holy Spirit. Everything he sees or hears, he declares, you know, um, of what the truth is. So all that the Father has is Jesus' and the Holy Spirit will declare it. <clears throat> so ultimately, the Holy Spirit is not an idea or a symbol, but he's a person. He speaks in 1 Timothy 4.1. He loves Romans 15.30. He can be grieved in Ephesians 4.30. And he can be lied to in Acts 5.3-4. So just to kind of, you know, get kind of a summary you know, we, we see that this spirit that, that is from God, the helper, wants to live in us. And so to, to testify of what Christ has done, and we'll get into all the little attributes of what Christ, what uh, the Holy Spirit wants to do. Um, but what's cool is this, and I love this, this passage. It says, 1 Corinthians two eleven through 13, um, it says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Should we stop there? Should we stop there? Because a lot of times people stop there. <laughs> they just, it, it's, and that, we can't stop there because it's different for us. But in verse 10, he says, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit. Why? How? For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We have the Holy Spirit in us to understand the things that God has done for us. We have the Holy Spirit in us to reveal the things that Christ wants us to know, the truth he wants us to know for our lives. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. For the believer, he's in us, working to bring us to the best representation of Christ as possible. That's his job. That's what he wants to do. Um, But how cool is that? You know, these things are revealed to us by the Spirit. And we'll get into all the little details there. So let's go through some of the attributes of and work of the Holy Spirit. If we go back to 1 Corinthians 2, he reveals the things prepared for us. So we have confidence and hope because we know that what lies ahead for us is revealed to us by the Spirit. We read the Word of God, which is truth. The Spirit of truth reveals these things to us and works in us so that we could say, Oh, I can, I have so much, I'm so excited to see what the Lord has got ahead for me. You know, the hope that we have in him, it's, we have everything waiting for us, you know, and that brings me back to, um, probably jumping the gun on this a little bit, but, but brings me back to, um, the last, I think the last message that I, that I brought that where we were talking about the what we have waiting for us like we're more than just the children of god now but what we have is not revealed yet to us like we don't we don't we can't like comprehend it but 
but to realize like when he says that uh, not that we would be found naked, but that we would be found further clothed, you know, and having that idea of the, you know, oh, I can't wait till I'm out of this world because this world stinks and then I'll be good. You know, I won't have sin. Things will be good. It'll be peaceful. Well, no, that's not the right attitude. The right attitude is, man, all that stuff and more is we'll be further clothed. We'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. That's so cool. That is so cool. It's much better than just like, I can't wait till I'm done with this stupid world. You know, all the suffering and all the pain and the struggle. But we should be looking forward. And that's revealed to us by the Spirit. We have hope because of the Spirit. Um, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So we, these things are revealed to us. We can have hope in these things. We read this. We know it's true. We have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having our eyes enlightened, our eyes of our hearts enlightened. We might know the hope, the immeasurable greatness of the power, the glorious inheritance of the saints. We have a glorious inheritance. We belong to him. And more than that, we have his Holy Spirit. We have God living in us. We have God living in us to, to encourage us to comfort us, to teach us, to lead us, to help us. You know, and we'll go through some of that scripture too. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have hope because of the Holy Spirit. Hope, wisdom, revelation. What do we have to look forward to? Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We have comfort. You know, when we go through difficult times, you know, uh, I was thinking about this this morning when we were like praying and worshiping. And... Why do I close my eyes to worship? You know, to get rid of distractions and things like that. But I think it's, it's more than that. It's, it's that I'm not looking to um, this, this symbol, you know, this image of this God that I'm talking to, but he's right here. I'm closing my eyes to get so that I can be focused on I know he hears my, my prayers. I know he hears my thoughts. I know he cares about these things. And so I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on that kind of thing. Uh, at least for me, that's what seemed to make sense. Um, so we have a comforter in him. We have a teacher and a reminder. In John fourteen twenty six. but the helper, as I read before, 
that teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In Isaiah 11:2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We have wisdom and knowledge through the Holy Spirit. The spirit, that's a living person who is in each person who belongs to Christ. Each person who has given their life to Christ has the spirit of the living God in them and has all of these things available. We have comfort. We have wisdom. We have the reminder of what Christ has said. We have the hope for the future. We have all of these things. And my hope is, as we go through this, that it becomes less abstract. You know, that we really start to understand what we have. You know, that, that there's a reality to this. That it's not that there's this foreign thing outside of us that makes us do things. But there's this living, this, this God, not this God, but God living in us that wants for us to be better than we are. He testifies of and glorifies Jesus. First um, Corinthians 12, three, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. John 16, 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So he's always bringing our eyes back to Jesus. He's always focusing us back to Jesus, back to his words, back to the word of God, back to his nature. That's what he's doing in us. And we see him working in power. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We saw... If we read Acts, I mean, you see this, just this crazy, all these miracles and all this speaking in tongues and all this stuff. And I believe that all that stuff is still available to us. I believe that the Lord works differently at different times um, and for different people. But, uh, but I believe it's still available to us. But I think that the real power is the power of a changed life. That's, that's where the power is. You know, we see the Holy Spirit working in us individually for forgiveness, for mercy when somebody's, you know, doesn't deserve it, for, um, for joy in a difficult time. You know, those are the things, like, that's where power is. That's power. To be able to forgive someone when they're unforgivable, that comes from God. That's power. You know, those are the things that God is working in us through his Holy Spirit. That's the power. And I'm not negating the other gifts of the Spirit thing, but the real power is the life change in us to be able to deal with every situation as it comes our way in a way that glorifies God. I think that is where the power is. He's the truth, John 14, 17, 15, 26, all through Scripture um, all through the New Testament. He's the spirit of truth. He's a creator of all things. He was there during, in the creation of the world. Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He regenerates and gives life. In Titus 3, 3 through 7, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. That's such a good passage. The Holy Spirit's been poured out on us richly. You know, and what, you know, when I use that terminology, you know, it's like, wow, is that the anointing of Aaron kind of picture? You know, not that Aaron. Um, well, we could do that sometime if you want. Um, but, but, uh, but it's just that, you know, but, there's, but it's different. You know, it's not on the outside. It's on the inside. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God that while well, that we are sufficient, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You know, and we go through that with what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And we'll get into that a little bit. Um, and the Spirit brings freedom. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So he brings freedom. And there's a lot to be said about that passage there. You know, and, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. And we'll get into that a little bit, you know, because that's so important. It's so important. It's the beholding of the Lord. It's beholding, looking on, you know, focusing on. That's what transforms us. Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong to him. The spirit groans for us when we don't know what to pray for. But what is the fundamental role, excuse me, of the Spirit? So much for not being distraction. Um, so what is the fundamental role of the Spirit, though? You know, all of these things, we see Him working. We see Him in us. We see Him leading us into truth. We see Him uh, comforting us. All of these things the Spirit is doing. But I think it leads us to one thing. I think his fundamental role is to make us holy, to make us, to sanctify us, to make us not, and holiness isn't perfection, right? We think of holiness as like, well, I have to be perfect. But that's not really what it is. Holiness is to be fixed on the Lord and set apart for him, to start focusing on the work of the spirit, what the spirit wants for us, what his word is saying to us, how we're being led to be more like him and then submitting to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Like that's what it comes down to. So I think the fundamental work that the Lord 
wants to do in us, the reason he's given us the spirit is that we would be holy. He's called the spirit of holiness. You know, it says, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. But God is in us and he'll make us holy if we're willing to let him and humble ourselves before him. You know, this is a thing that we can, we can be. You know, this isn't, this isn't something that we, we can't attain to. You know, and, I, and when I say that, like, we can't attain to it. We can't be like, I'm going to be holy today and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just do the right things. Because the, things are out of order then. Because it's beholding him that makes us holy. It's being in his presence and being in his word. Being, being in his, just focused on him, fixing our eyes on him. The Holy Spirit provides the means and the atmosphere for us to be completely sanctified so we can bear the fruit of God's work and life in us. He wants to make us a city on a hill, a light in darkness, to be the righteousness of Christ, to be a living testimony of the power and grace of God. He wants us to be a living testimony of the power and grace of God. Our lives are that. We are that. As, as children of God. You know, we have that opportunity. Second Thessalonians 2.13 says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. First Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And I like this. This gets into a little division of the spirit and the soul and the body. Sanctify you completely and may your, um, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to make every bit of us holy. He wants to make our spirit holy. He wants to make our soul holy. He wants to make our body holy. We want to be living the things out. And there's an order there. You know, there's a, there's a proper order to those things. And I think that within the, like we're three-part beings. We'll just go there, right? I, I don't want to get too into this, but I think I have to. We're three-part beings, according to the scripture. We're a spirit, right? And that what the spirit does is the part that communes with God. We're part spirit. We're soul, which is our mind, will, and, and emotions. And we're our body that part that connects to the world around us, the physical world. So we have these three parts, and there has to be a proper order of things there. The spirit part that communes with God is what we want to, we want to kind of like lean towards that as being the one that controls everything else. Because that's the one that's communing with God, that, the, the part. And so... Um, <clears throat> So we, we have those three parts, and we want, the, the, we want to be in submission to the Spirit. And we'll go through a little bit. There's a book that I would encourage somebody, uh, encourage all you guys to read. It's a little, little heady, um, but, uh, but it's so cool. And it's, uh, it's called The Spiritual Man. If you haven't read it, you know, I, would, I think it's definitely worth reading by Watchman Nee. And I took a little passage from the book because I think he explains it really well, um, what this means. So he says, we know the temple is divided into three parts. He's talking about the Old Testament temple, 
um, when they were making sacrifices. And I think this is a good this is a good analogy. The first is the outer court, which is seen by all and visited by all. All external worship is offered here. Going further in is the holy place, into which only the priests can enter and where they present oil, incense, and bread to God. They are quite near to God, yet not the nearest, for they are still outside the veil and therefore unable to stand before his very presence. God dwells deepest within in the Holy of Holies, where darkness is overshadowed by brilliant light into which no man can enter. Though the high priest does enter in once annually, it nonetheless indicates that, there, that before the veil is rent, there can be no man in the Holy of Holies. Man is God's temple also. And he too has three parts. The body is like the outer court, occupying an external position with its life visible to all. Here man ought to obey every commandment of God. Here God's son serves as a substitute and dies for mankind. Inside is man's soul, which constitutes the inner life of man and which embraces man's emotion, will, and mind. Such is the holy place of a regenerated person. For his love, will, and thought are fully enlightened that he may serve God even as the priest of old did. Innermost, behind the veil, lies the Holy of Holies, into which no human light has ever penetrated and no naked eye has ever pierced. It is the secret place of the Most High, the dwelling place of God. It cannot be reached by man unless God is willing to rend the veil. It is man's spirit. This spirit lies beyond man's self-consciousness and above his sensibility. Here man unites and communes with God. We have these, these three parts, and that part is the key part that we want to have everything else in submission under. But the toughest battle that we have, I think, is our soul. It's our will. You know, that if, because we have the Holy Spirit prompting us to do the things that please God, but it's our will that has to be in submission to the Spirit, the Spirit's leading. And it takes us to say, I'm going to do that rather than that. We have to make those decisions. We can, I think, sometimes get caught up into thinking, well, how come God doesn't make me like this? How come, you know, like expecting God's going to come in and just start to manipulate us and make us the way he wants us to be all by himself. But we have a part to play. We have to submit our will to his spirit. And as that becomes in order, when our will is submitted to him, when our, all our hopes and dreams and all that stuff, then our body follows. You know, so it's like uh, we go into th this idea of like, well, I don't understand. You know, I see these people, they don't know the Lord, but they're doing all the right things. And it's like, well, it doesn't really matter because you can do all the right things and still not have a relationship with the Lord you know, and still not be in submission to his spirit. So the outward work really should be the uh, response to the work of the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, just doing the things, because, well, I think I'm going to, it's the idea of, you know, serving the law, you know, rather than grace. You know, I'm just do, I'll do all these things and God will be happy. It's like, no, you're missing the point. God's happy when you're communing with him. God's happy when you're spending time with him. God's happy when we're, we're, we're taking the time to behold him so that we can be transformed by him. Um, Jesus says, 
uh, about prayer. And I think that um, this is where the, the rubber really meets the road. You know, as for us to, to humbly, to bring our will and submission to him. And the battle really is in that, that willingness to get ourselves in a place where we can behold the Lord, where we can become more like him because we're spending time with him. You know, and I used to think a lot of like, you know, uh, prayer and it's like, well, yeah, okay, prayer. All right, but let's put our feet to the prayers. You know, let's go, let's do stuff, you know? Missing the point of the whole, the whole reality of it is I need to be in that real place with God so that I can be changed by him so that he can do the work in me so that I can do the works that please him. It's him working in us to do and to will, or to will and to do of his good pleasure, you know? Um, but we can miss that too, because I think prayer is a tough thing because you can be like, well, all right, you know, I just do my thing. I get up, I got my list of people to pray for. And it's like, okay, I did my duty. I did the right thing. That's, you're missing the point there too. You were missing the point if that's it. It's, I need to just be, I need to be in his presence. I need to be looking at him. I need to be spending time with him. In reality, not just with a list of things to bring to him. I mean, we were told to, that the, um, uh, we can enter boldly before the throne of grace. You present our requests before him. You know, like we're told to do those things. That's good. But honestly, humbly, allowing ourselves to just be broken before him, looking on him so that we can be transformed by him. Like that's the reality. That's the reality. That's where our Christian life takes a whole, takes a turn. Because now it's not us just doing the things, doing the things, and man, I'm still in the same rut. It's now I'm, I'm allowing God to work in me so that now I'm doing the things because I'm just, like he's just working that in me. It's, it's like kind of, it's hard to explain, but, but there's a reality there. And I think that we can miss that because we don't have a real understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And as we truly understand who the Holy Spirit is and realize that we are in the presence of Almighty God and he lives in us, we're always in his presence and we can talk to him and we can present our requests to him and we can, he cares for us, he wants to comfort us. He, he's our helper. When it becomes real, then we become as useful as possible to him. You know, this is where we get into the Galatians 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, we hear that sometimes and it's like, it's like, okay, walk in the spirit, you know, and uh, well, what in the world does that mean? And I think he nails it when he says at the end of it, um, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? By being with the Spirit. That's how you keep in step with the Spirit. You submit your will to Him. And the battle, like I said, I mean, and I mentioned this last time and probably the time before, um, 
<clears throat> and it's a, and I love this allegory, especially for young people who are into like fantasy. But this idea of the treasure and the dragon, you know, there's a dragon we have to slay, and it's our will. Our will that keeps us from spending time in the presence of Almighty God is the ultimate dr- dragon, because the ultimate treasure is his presence that changes us. And if we're going to slay anything, we need to slay that dragon. If we slay that dragon, then all the other stuff becomes maybe battles, maybe things like that. But with the Lord's help, we overcome all that stuff. That's where the victory is. You know, it's like what I was saying before, you know, the battle is the, the power of God working in us is that ability to forgive somebody. Because it's God's power working in us. It's not us just like, oh, I have to do this. You know, as we do that, that is like the ultimate dragon to slay because that's the ultimate treasure. And so we can do that. You know, we can do that. Learn, we can learn how to do that. Um, and it's really just, it's really being honest. You know, and I talk about this. It's so funny because like the New Testament is full of so many awesome things. The whole Bible full of so many awesome things, but it's like the narrative. You can break it down into like like five key things that if you just get a hold of this, everything else fits within that. So it becomes oversimplified, but um, it's like that humble, truthful conversation with God knowing who you are, broken before him, allowing his light to shine on us so that we can, be, we can reveal who we are to him. And we're jerks or we're whatever, but he knows that. You know, asking him to search our hearts and, and see if there's any wicked way in us. You know, like that's where it starts. That's where the Lord can start to work. Um, it's so good. The Lord's so good. So, that's where the fruit of the Spirit is born to. You know, it's not in us just trying to work these things out, but it's in allowing God, or submitting our will to him, to his Spirit, and allowing God to work um, his fruit out in us. Ultimately, that's what we want, right? We want to be holy. We want to be set apart. We want to be all that, he, that, uh, that we're supposed to be in him. Um, so hopefully that, helps you get a better sense of the reality that God lives in us the Holy Spirit is he's God (laughs) he's God just like Jesus is God you know and uh, he's always testifying to the truth and we have that